podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The 2023 Rugby World Cup is finally upon us. As the rugby world prepares to set sail and turn their full attention to France, the KLNS Rugby Podcast should be your one-stop shop for an in-depth Irish eye on this magnificent tournament. Over the next three months, there will be over 50 articles and podcasts ready to hit your eyes and ears, starting with the pre-tournament preview series, detailing the hopes of all 20 teams, there will be preview and recap podcasts of each of Ireland's World Cup and tournament fixtures, as well as a weekly review pod with guests from the world over. This is the Kalon S Rugby Podcast, your home of extensive, fan-led Rugby World Cup coverage. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the third episode of my 2023 Rugby World Cup preview series. We round out the main contenders in Pool A by looking at Ireland's opponents in this weekend's warm-up game, Italy. With Kieran Crowley having one foot out the door, can the New Zealander lead the Azuri to their finest World Cup hour and leave his successor a youthful squad brimming with confidence? Or will it be further pool stage woes for the Italians? With me to look ahead to Italy's tournament prospects are two new guests of this pod, they are two-thirds of the English-speaking Italian rugby podcast for Telly de Rugby. So welcome on to Marcelo Castelli francis and Mike Petretta. Pleasure to have you on, lads. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. No worries at all. Um, first of all, before we get into the game this weekend, the World Cup is about five weeks away now. So how are you feeling about it? Are you excited? Nervous? I'll, I'll come to yourself first, um, Mike. Uh, I'm quite excited. I think we're in a position where there's not too much pressure and I think we've been playing some some exciting rugby. So yeah, just just keen on seeing sort of how how the product the product uh, progresses. I'm I'm really, really excited about it. And yourself, uh, Marcel? Yeah, I think I'm not I'm not sure we we're even allowed to be nervous really given the group we've got. Um it's almost a bit like It'd almost be a bit cheeky of us to be to be nervous, expecting anything less than a, a third place finish. Ultimately, I think we're in the situation we have been in a few years where third place is sort of the expectation, but also the minimum requirement. Um, so I feel we're fine. This is probably the first time, especially in my lifetime, that we're going into a World Cup where there's that little bit of expectation that maybe we could do it. Um, I think if we'd have had a kind of draw, I'd have been feeling really quite, um, well, I am excited, but really sort of anxious about it because there's sort of that little bit more pressure on us and expectation on us now to start turning performances into results. But we've got New Zealand and France, so it's not exactly the easiest pool. So, yeah, I'm like Mike, I'm excited to see what we can do in the next few weeks and then the build at the World Cup. And then once the World Cup comes, I'm just wanting to see us play the rugby we've been playing in the last 12 months and and wherever that takes us is is good enough for me. Yeah, that's that's understandable. And listen, I think this can speak for a lot of people in this country that would love to see Italy do well, not just because of the quarterfinal draw, but just it would be a great story. But it, it, the odds are, are stacked against them. They did return to the field last week with a clash against Scotland and Murrayfield. Fell short in that one, ultimately, on the two heavily rotated teams. So, Michael, come to you first on this one. Do you want to just take us through that game 
just from an Italian perspective for those who didn't see it because it was uh, a bit of a kerfuffle trying to figure out what channel it was on over here. So do you want to just take us through that? Yeah, of course. Um, I don't think, you know, it was the prettiest game by by any stretch. I think having seen uh, the products from from sort of the, the rugby championship over the past couple of weeks and, you know, this is the first game of the season. There's a lot of players that have just returned from, from holiday and, um, you know, it's, it is what I expected. Uh, I think sort of the torrid weather as well played its part. You know, it was torrential rain and sunshine and when, you know, typical Scottish uh, summer. So um, it was, it was, a, it was an interesting game. I think there was, it was defined by the set piece. I think there was, it was, it was very much um, an arm wrestle. There was points where we seemed on top. And then as, as the game progressed, it looked like, um the Scottish got the better of us and I think that's sort of in the end you know what what really uh really helped them win as well as some beautiful kicks um some fantastic sort of 50-22s and they played the territory really well but um I think from our side you know from an Italian perspective we we put in a, a lot of reserve players players who are first teamers but you know haven't had a lot of time onto Ioani and to Halafihi, who's just come back from injury as well. Um, and, you know, we played some fantastic players out of position. Pani had his, you know, test start at fullback against Scotland. And we had Menoncello, who we know could be uh, a fantastic player for us, you know, playing at outside centre and have the defensive responsibilities, which is a little bit different. So, um, yeah, it's it was, a, it was a mixed bag, I think, if 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 you wanted me to, to define it, a mixed bag. And I think... From a Scot Scottish perspective, I'm I'm sure a Scottish fan will say exactly the same thing. Um, you know, very mixed bag in terms of um whom they played and how they played. Okay, so mixed bag for you. For Marcelo, I'll come to you for this one. Like Ireland play Italy at the weekend, we probably don't really know what to expect. Is there anything we can take away from that game, or is it just a case of rotated team, first game out, just it gets its own category? Yeah, I mean, look, if we were in a Six Nations tournament and we knew that the best team was going to be put out each week, then then maybe Ireland would, would have something to think about. But these warm-ups are precisely about that, I think. I think it's all about each team, just the cliche, focusing on yourselves and, and not really worrying too much about the opponent. I feel even if Italy played, you know, if we played our strongest side against Ireland, and like we did in the Six Nations, we played a, a slightly rotated Ireland side and and push them really close. So I think Ireland will be wary of what we're capable of doing. However, the team, whilst it might be stronger and a, a few more of those sort of regular names involved uh, at the weekend, I still expect there to be a couple of uh, a couple of rotation players in there as well. So I'm not sure Ireland can take too much from it. I think maybe the standout thing for me um, was Manuel Zuliani uh, in the back row and he sort of laid down a real marker. And I think, should he be given another go at the weekend? Um, at the breakdown, he was a monster, really. And he will certainly uh, go head-to-head with, with, with anyone in that Irish back row. So they might have to think a little bit about that breakdown. And I think the defence that we produced last weekend against Scotland was good, uh, especially around the breakdown and, and sort of uh, in defence and, and, and flashing up and, and making it difficult for Scotland to play. So I think we'll try and do the same thing again in trying to make it difficult for Ireland to play. Uh, we're probably going to see 
less of the ball than we did against Scotland. So it's probably going to be a bit more of a fitness test for us, which is uh, which is obviously what we need. We need we need these games to be sort of different every time we play a game in the warm ups. Um, so yeah, I'm not I'm not sure I will take too much from it. Um, but yeah, I, I think hopefully, fingers crossed for everyone involved, it's a it's a competitive one. Well, for people who paid quite a bit of money to get in there, but that's a different conversation for for other people. But I suppose the the intriguing thing about this for a couple lads and probably get mentioned ad nauseum between now and October is the coaching situation, not just with Italy but with. England, Wales, New Zealand, Australia, so many teams. And like this was probably the first of a sitting duck game for Kieran Crowley, remarkably. I'll come back to you for this one, Marcelo, because do you want to take us through the whole Kieran Crowley situation? Um, for those who may not be familiar, then we'll just get your thoughts on that afterwards then. Yeah, well, uh, I'd love to talk you for, through it logically, but to me, it doesn't make any logical sense whatsoever. Uh, I think we're still, I hadn't really thought about it until now and I can feel my blood boiling already t- talking about it again. It's um, uh, devastating is probably the correct words to use. To be honest, Italy were going somewhere we've seen in the last 12 months, what we've been capable of and what we were sort of moving towards. And that's sort of been cut short. The Federation want to go another direction and that direction is Quesada uh, come, come the end of the World Cup. They obviously had him in mind and that's where they wanted to go. They wanted to bring in a new younger coach uh, to someone who could maybe carry that mantle that what Kieran had, had sort of created. Uh, but yeah, his, his, he wanted he wanted to sign a new contract. He wanted to stay with Italy until the next World Cup cycle at least. Uh, but essentially the Federation said no and uh, got rid of him and didn't even give him another Six Nations really. So he's he'll carry out his contract until the Rugby World Cup and then that'll be it and Kithara will come in um, next for the Six Nations which is yeah crazy bonkers whatever you want to call it and there's there's no point brushing over we we can tell your thoughts on the whole situation there and I'll, I'll throw it over to yourself now Mike like is this you can give me your thoughts first but is this just a mistake from the Italian Rugby Federation, do you do you feel like like obviously it's too soon to say because it hasn't even got a a training session yet? But do you feel like this is a bit of a slip up from them? Yeah, I think I'm 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 I never say absolutes. So as far as my personal feeling right now, we can see like that we're improving game on game, and you know, rugby is built on marginal gains and you know, an inch further, you know, an inch better, you know, a kick percentage better. All of these things contribute to winning games. And we're definitely in the, in the upward, you know, trajectory and we're going in the right direction. We even saw that with, like I said, you know, third, fourth choices at times at the weekend. Um, and, and if we're able to build uh, a team and a style of play and attack and, an, and, and more importantly, like an identity, which I think has been lacking in Italian rugby for so long, it's really difficult for to, to sort of determine whether that's because of the group of players and the young talent that's coming through and all of the you know energetic youthfulness that has come from the under twenties over a period of years, or if it's something that's come directly from Crowley. Uh, what I will say is, you know, March and I have been fortunate enough to to interview a lot of the Italian boys um, over the past few months and weeks, and the way they speak about Kieran Crowley and 
even when we interviewed Kieran Crowley himself, the way he spoke about the boys and like what it meant to him, um, it, you know, we know what it means to him. And um, that's not to say that, you know, Casada's not going to come in and absolutely, you know, go along the same sort of trajectory and, and, you know, utilize the same sort of game plan. And we, we're still seeing this attract, attractive Italian rugby and there's some nuances which change and, and, and we see results. That's, that's not to say that doesn't happen, but, you know, it's a risk because we don't know. Whereas we know what we're getting with Kieran Crowley. So if you're risk adverse, which I am, um, yes, it's a mistake. If, you know, you're, you want to see sort of what the future holds and you're happy to play risks, which I don't think, as Italian fans, we have the opportunity to because we don't have much money in the bank with with results. Then I think it's uh, I think it's you know I think it's tough for us. It's it's uh, it's a weird one because I, I like I think sometimes a bit of outside perspective is good with these conversations. And here in Ireland, again, it's a massive shock. Like we've seen what Kieran Crowley did with Benetton, the Pro Fourteen, the Rainbow Cup, and for him to not get that extension is surprising to say the least and like I suppose we're going to get into the Six Nations anyway so might as well start into it now like there's been an awful lot of kind of annoying narrative conversations about them or you know yes they've come last eight years in a row but it's it's not the same like it's not as easy as just putting it that way like it's six of six good teams and they are improving and I'll I'll, I'll start with yourself in this one Marcelo we'll, we'll come back to Mike in a minute like how much can the average person who would watch Six Nations, how much can they use that to judge Italy really when you are looking at, you know, five of the top eight teams in the world? Um, or do you believe, say, is a World Cup stage a clearer picture where they're going to have a chance against Uruguay and Namibia? And if they're in another group, they could be going off against Georgia, for instance. Yeah, I think... It... The Six Nations, I've always said, especially in the last few years, when the uh, the conversations around promotion, relegation, Georgia, EPC, have been have been talked about, is we've always been progressing the last three, four years. It, it, the, the the problem is, is that it hasn't been as as the, the the incline hasn't been as great as it has been for Scotland or or France or Ireland. You know, who have obviously got a lot more at their disposal than we have. Their progression has just been quicker. Uh, and we haven't been able to progress at the same pace. But we're now at that stage where this last Six Nations and maybe the, the final two games of the previous Six Nations where we sort of ended really well against Scotland and then went and went beat Wales. Um, we had the really good autumn. And this was probably the one Six Nations where we didn't win a game, but I think we were probably in a position to win at least three of those games. And I wonder... I do wonder, going back to the Crowley conversation, just very quickly, had we managed to turn one or two of those into a win, what might have happened? Um, I guess for the Federation, it was much easier to, to get rid of Crowley on the back of losing all five games and finishing bottom of the Six Nations. Um, you know, we were we were probably reffed out a couple of them as well, let's be said, especially the Scotland game. We should have won that one. And But that's, that's the thing. That's what Mike says and Mike talks about it. I like the fine margins in rugby if you don't. That's the difference between winning and losing, isn't it? Um, so the Six Nations is difficult. Yes, we've coming up against the best teams in the world, ultimately. And um, this World Cup, we're now in a position where we're expected to beat certain sides. 
and we're all, we should be beating these sides if we are to talk about ourselves the way we do talk about ourselves. Uh, and what's nice to see is that some of those warm-up games are going to provide us with the chance to hopefully, fingers crossed, get some wins under our belt and hopefully go into a World Cup campaign with some winning momentum, which is sort of, we don't really get all that often. And a lot of the times we play the Six Nations and we then go and play a summer test against South Africa or New Zealand or something crazy like that, when we're obviously never going to win and get to an autumn on the back of six, seven, eight defeats in this space of a year. So it will be nice. And I think this World Cup is something we can be judged on. And I, But I think ultimately it will be how far can we push one of or both New Zealand and France ultimately. And I think those two games is where we should be judged, uh, not necessarily by the result, but more the performance and, and how we fare in those kind of really big games. Yeah, no, do you want to take the, the same question there, uh, Mike, about, you know, is is it, sorry, I've, I've lost my, my notes here in front of me. Is it doom and gloom? Uh, no, not, not doom and gloom, but like, <laughs> is the World Cup a clear picture? Like, I, the one thing that came to my head when I was making up these notes was, what if we had the same format as the under-20s? Where would Italy lie then? I'm not saying the amount of teams, but just that kind of an idea. Like, maybe we wouldn't be as defeatist on Italy because... They were good in 2019. They could have taken, I'm not, I'm not going to say they could have taken Scotland. Scotland were poor that year. They could have taken Fiji. They could have picked off a scalp if we had a different format, for instance. Six Nations just allows that. Well, I'll go back to the to the Six Nations and I'll progress into the World Cup because I think they're both very relevant points. I think where we're at now is from 2017 when we had Conor O'Shea and Stephen Abood set up the academies. This is the fruition five years on, because obviously this is the fifth year, fifth season, I should say, excuse me, coming into the sixth season. And what look at who we brought in from from our current team, from those iterations. So we've got, you know, Menoncello, Lamaro, Fischetti, Riccione. We, we, we like basically our whole team this cycle has been youthful players that we've capped. And they've only recently been churned through the system because we didn't have an effective system before that. So we had a really effective system. Obviously, it's it's recently changed with one of the centers of formation changing and uh, sorry being being removed and um, sort of more funds going across sort of the top ten to try and bring the standard of the top ten up because that needs to be the the healthy sort of growing ground of the uh, of, of of our sort of young under 20s under 18s that that so if if we're talking about the six nations i think actually if we're going to start judging italy we need to judge them from the point where the academies have been set up and we've been in the same position that the other top uh well the other six nation sides have been in for for a longer period of time so there's that side so 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 with your response to the under 20s for us this is sort of the acid test like moving in from the under twenties to the uh, the national team. How do they transition? It's the same issue, I suppose. Every team has, but you know, it, it's more difficult for us because we only have two franchises. That said, obviously, I know it's a, a very common issue with Ireland as well. And if we're talking about the World Cup, yeah, I think the ranking system um, definitely needs to to maybe have a little look at because you know we're in a position where we're you know in twenty nineteen up against New Zealand and, and South Africa and. This year we're up against the other, uh, you know, favourites in Ireland and, and, and France. And I think if we're constantly in a position where we're up against the best teams, of course we're not going to make um, the, the pools. But then in the same vein, 
um it's such a perfect stage to you know write history and really show who we are and what we want to do and i think speaking to the boys this year that's what they want that's that's the target it it would be great to see no one would take it off them and then just when i hear you talk about almost going to flipping the lid on the six nations narrative that some people put out there I kind of wish he had Irish TV coverage. I don't know if you can get it, but um, Ian McKinley, former Italian player, has been banging the drum for years about Italy are improving, Italy are improving. And it, it has been good to hear because a lot of the other conversation isn't great. And isn't, like, it's it's good to hear your perspective on it as well, which is something I'd agree with. I, I do think there's, there is scope there for improvement as much as Anton. And you talk about that young squad, like, I, I, I don't have the exact list in front of me, but it, it is predominantly a younger squad. You look at Garbisi, Capozzo, Lamoureux, guys you can build around. And anyone who watches URC or Top 14 on a religious basis will see that these are ex- exciting players. And I suppose before we get into your thoughts on the overall, the extended squad, if if you will, um, and I'll bounce it back to you, Mike, again this time. Do you want to just take us through the key players, the exciting players? Because... Again, and not mean to be disrespectful to people listening, but a lot of people won't watch an awful lot of, say, Benetton or Top 14 or, you know, to, to be that familiar with these guys. Yeah, no, it's fair. Um, I think there's there's a few players that we can highlight. Um, there's some players who are exciting unknowns and there's some players who probably have progressed over over time. So, you know, like there's uh, there was Ruta who uh, captained at the weekend. And for those of you who don't watch the URC, obviously he's a staple at Benetton. He played at blindside as opposed to Locke, where he, he's prominently playing uh, for, for both Italy and Benetton. But he's a player who, over the past two seasons, I think if he if he wasn't uh, Italian and he was playing in a more successful team, he'd, he'd probably be well well known in, in sort of the rugby sphere. So there's certainly someone like him um, and even a player like Nicodera, who has a, had like a very slow and gradual progression, but he's, you know, verging on first choice um, with Lucchese, uh, who, who's been injured, unfortunately. So there's players like that who have improved under the, the Crowley regime over, you know, a long period of time. And obviously credit to like Bortolami and Marzi and Co in, in Benetton as well. And then there's players who have incredible potential and I, I brought up Menoncello and I know he's he's a pod favorite for me and Marcello um but he could potentially be um one of like Italy all-time greats he's 20 years old um he's so destructive and and he's a malleable you know he's, he's a versatile malleable player so someone like him um who who's maybe not on everyone's tongue but people are starting to realize how good he is and I think as well you know Martin Pagerello we're very lucky that he chose uh, Italy. I know who's approached by France as well. Obviously, France, French born and uh, plays in the top uh, 14. And he was recently behind Dupont at uh, Toulouse. So obviously, he has a, a good mentor. Um, but he's like a very versatile player, probably a player that people, um, you know, don't necessarily know unless, you know, you watch a lot of the top 14. Can play uh, fullback, wing, and obviously, he's a nine by by trade. He's a, he's a player. And then, again, like... March said Zuliani and Lamaro and uh, I think Cannone, those guys um have 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 you know 
almost proven themselves in this short period of time. And like I said, one one big shout out to to Seb Negri, who probably played his best season at 28 years old. Um, he's he's hitting his prime and he just looks really good. So th- there's there's a number of players that, if you weren't aware, those are the players that probably stand out. And then, like I said, you know, there's there's the the Fischetti who's who you know so passionate, puts his body on the line, like runs himself ragged. Chorney, who's who's an animal as well. So there's there's plenty of players to look out for. But if you want sort of ones that could potentially light up and be world beaters, I think Menoncello, Lamar, or those 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 are the boys who are the safe bets. And it's it's great to see, like again, bounce back to that point. It's great to see this young talent coming through. And I I before I come on to omissions from the squad and all that, which yourself and I just want to throw back to you, Mike, about the younger crop. Like I I was looking it up there around the time of the under-26 nations, like Italy have been consistently fifth or above for five, six years now. you got lads like Garbisi, Lamoro, Capozzo, Menacello, who you mentioned, Brex, is is certainly finding his feet at URC level quite comfortably. Like, is it, I suppose, I don't want to say is it a sense of national pride or anything, but is there a sense of if these young lads are given a proper level to grow on and like Garbisi has that at Montpellier for instance Capozzo at, at Toulouse that they could really bring Italian rugby into a into a not a golden generation again because that's too high of a of a marking point for them but to really push Italian rugby on because like the quality is there yeah, Benetton are a better team markedly than they were five or six years ago so is is there room to be excited nearly at all this array of of young players coming through yeah, no, 100%. I think Italy suffer from the same issue that Ireland suffer, whereby we produce too much talent for the teams that we have. So there's plenty of you know young Irish talent which isn't getting much game time because, unfortunately, there's only so so many um, so many spaces on the team. So if you're going to integrate young players, where are you going to do it? Obviously, the URC doesn't have the Premiership Cup like the UK. Um, or I should say just the premiership because obviously it's not Anglo-Welsh anymore. And, you know, for, for us, I think, you know, that's that causes a big problem, which is the transition. So where are these boys getting game time? And Zebra have been brave, like candidly, they've been brave. You know, they've been playing 20-year-old props against, you know, well-seasoned props. And everyone knows that, you know, props hit their prime sort of later on, you know, even up to sort of 30 years old. So these boys... They're never, you know, they're they're never expected to compete, but they are expected to improve. And there's some fantastic players like Nochera, who hasn't been picked, unfortunately, but he's someone who I fully expect to to light up um, at tight head for us. And these these this is where these boys are getting game time. So if we're going to be talking about our under twenties, there's plenty of players who have the potential to to reach another level. And I think this is where the federation needs to make a concerted effort to try and attract uh foreign teams so uh, i mean sort of top 14 premiership sides etc and have some form of collaboration between the two whereby you know we're inviting them into um, an academy system which is accommodating for their growth they are getting some sort of game time and um i think that's sort of the next step and i think if we're looking we spoke about georgia if we're looking at georgia that's what georgia have been doing you know they set up an agreement with the espors and all of the Georgian young talent just play in France. And, you know, you can see how it's benefiting them at um, 
at obviously sort of national team level later on. So that's where we're at. We've got plenty of talent. We've been producing fantastic talent for for a while. Obviously, we could we should have come third last year. We came third this year in the Six Nations. Um, so it is on the upward trajectory. It's just it's all good having these quality players. It's about sort of getting them game time and that's the next step. And I suppose that's the piece of the puzzle which the Federation need to need to get cracking on. Absolutely. And I, I just a random quiz question here because I'm after looking up there. Do you want to know when was the last time Italy came last in the other 20 or do you want to hemorrhage a guess at us? 2016. 2017, yeah. So like that's, so, that's a lot yeah. of growth in recent years. Like it's, I know some of it is because Scotland rugby has had issues there, but it is, you know, it's easy to look at, oh, Italy lose to England in Rome and, oh, they're not doing well. But, like, the reality is they are beating these teams at underage and it's only a matter of time. Hopefully you'll start with someone else and not Ireland. Um, and, Marcelo, we will come to you now for this one and the makeup of the squad. A lot of fans always go towards the omissions page as opposed to who's selected, so... Is there any big omissions, noteworthy omissions in the Italian squad, or is it kind of as expected, which a lot of teams have been for the World Cup extended squads? Yeah, I think our extended squad, there is no, there is no surprise omissions. I mean, the only, the only, I mean, there are a couple of injuries that are worth noting. Sort of um, Jake Pelledri, who I probably would, I don't think he's been ruled out of the World Cup, but I'm sort of leaning towards thinking that I'd be surprised now if he. If he did get, if he did get into that squad. Even if he gets into the squad, I'm not sure how much we will see of Jake. Unfortunately, he's just been, just been decimated with injuries. The poor bloke over the last kind of two, three years, and it's obviously massive shame for us, given how how well he how well he was going and kind of people talking about him at that 2019 World Cup has been one of the best flankers in the world, and so that was a huge shame. Uh, but you know, ultimately, at least we he sort of fit-ish and hopefully be able to go on to, to, to something post-rugby anyway. So obviously he he's a blow. I think Eduardo Padovani, who would be a massive miss for us, is also out of the World Cup. He is uh, someone that I think has been hugely underrated, especially in the Italian game. Um, he is a player that can sort of play both wing and 15 and obviously his size makes him quite a quite useful under the high ball and uh, gives us an attacking option as well as a defensive option. And me and Mike have talked about our wingers and a lot of them sort of do the same thing. A lot of them do it quite well. And Ioane and, uh, and Bruno, who are who are good in the contact and are quite industrious and score tries. But Padovani is someone that sort of kicks really well and is good under the high ball and defensively sound. And he offers us something a little bit different. So not having him is... Uh, is a blow as well, and, and I, I guess the only omission that people are sort of talking about is, of course, Sergio Parise, who obviously now retired anyway. But um, people were talking about him at the time as whether he, he obviously wanted to play, he wanted to do another World Cup, um, and his wife certainly did as well. World counts, um, but yeah, he, he was the only one that people were sort of debating over whether would he get in, would he not get in, but. Um, yeah, I mean these World Cup squads are so big now that it's. I don't think there are many sort of surprises in terms of mind you, England seem to there seems to be debate over English players every single week, doesn't there? But who gets in and who doesn't get in and who should get in and who shouldn't be there? So, but as far as we're concerned, no, there there aren't really any sort of omissions other than a couple of um, couple of injuries. 
that's that's no bad thing either because you know all the top teams are pretty settled. It's a better chance of having a successful tournament with a settled squad. And even I suppose as we were kind of saying before, success could be merited on the warm up games. And if they can pull off a big result in the warm ups, and this Saturday they do travel to Dublin to take on Ireland. That's at eight o'clock on RT two for those here in Ireland. So we'll start with yourself on this one, Marcelo. Um, just first and foremost, what do you think the aim is for Italy here? Is it just going to be a case of, you know, get minutes into lads' legs, fitness, as you mentioned earlier? Or do you, do you think they can potentially upset the apple cart a little bit? And, you know, or is that too far to be thinking? Uh, I think of all the grounds, sort of Dublin and, and London are the, the places where doesn't matter what sort of what form we're in or how confident we are it just the 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 fixture that I hate the most actually unfortunately is Italy Ireland in Dublin because it's normally where we get tanked by 50 60 points or we have that awful situation we had a year ago where we had after team sent off or for whatever reason it's just there's just so many sort of bad memories of playing in Dublin obviously we've had some good ones playing in Rome uh, in the last sort of 10, 15 years. But ultimately, Dublin has never been a happy place for us to go. Look, I mean, these warm-up games are, you could win all of them and then go into the group stage at the World Cup and, and get knocked out. So it, it doesn't really matter. It's the same with pre-season in football, for example. Pre-season, those games don't really matter. It's all about sort of the performance now. I think we saw lots of encouraging signs against Scotland. I think our defence was really good and really sound and we made it really difficult for Scotland to play. Um, the task will be, can we do that against Ireland? And not many teams have been particularly successful at stopping Ireland, no matter how hard they've tried. And that's what makes them one of the best teams in the world and one of the favourites for the World Cup. So, I mean, we don't know what sort of teams they put out. You know, Ireland could go really experimental and we could go quite strong and therefore it might even us out a little bit. Uh, but for us, it's literally it's all about performance. Can we, I think, you know, again, depending on who we pick in in attack, in offence, can we see a little bit more, uh, a little bit more slick than we did against Scotland? Obviously, the conditions didn't really help, and hopefully, those conditions aren't repeated this weekend, and we we get some time to uh, to put some of those attacking plays in that we know we can do, and we can play a little bit more rugby that is maybe suited to us, which uh, hopefully can happen, but. Fitness minutes in the legs again. And I've said to Mike, can we can we go and test ourselves against one of the best teams in the world prior to the World Cup? And if we get beaten by you know 30, 40 points, it ultimately won't matter. We don't expect to go there and win. Um, we want to see progression. We want to see us uh, gearing up towards a World Cup ultimately. And can we just go a couple of steps better than we did against Scotland? I feel like we'll we'll probably have more of our first team players involved. So that should help with stability and help with sort of looking a little bit more fluid compared to last week, which was slightly fractured at times. But yeah, these are just warm-up games for us. Can we can we build through Scotland and Ireland and, and, and hopefully be at our best or there or thereabouts against Romania and Japan, I think is the aim for us. And these first two games are very much we we'll probably won't have a lot of the ball fitness. We're going to make a lot of tackles. Can we sort of learn from that and, and develop on that? So I think that's the key for us. Just let's just go there with an open mind, try and play rugby, and uh, and see if we can stop Ireland playing there, which is easier said than done, of course. But I think that's that's sort of the aim for us, really. Yeah. Um. I just 
apologies now Mike this might be a tougher question because I'm going to ask you more about the the combinations the game plan like Italy predominantly possession team um, a very on-ball rugby type team and as we've seen in recent years and I don't want to say strain away from contact but they don't have the biggest side they have to play this more expansive game and they do it quite well so when it comes to their game plan and their the attitude coming into the Ireland game like we we have to remember in Rome this year they between the Canones and I can't remember who was at center so apologies there and Garbisi they really ran Ireland ragged at times in that first half in particular they really frightened so is that something you're going to look for or is it more okay let's see how x and y do together in this combination or partnership like what's because again it's a balancing act these games but Ireland are one of the best teams you measure yourself against the best exactly um so the word acid test comes to mind i think we're in a position now where like you said the settled teams are the typically the teams that end up doing really well in tournaments the ones that have had some continuity and consistency with selection and i think actually we're in a position where there's probably five or six uh positions up for grabs at this stage of a cycle which is relatively uncommon and i think you know if 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 we're looking at ireland for example i think you know, there might be a few, um, uh, you know, probably half of, of the um, opportunities available for people to get on the plane. So we're at a position where I think we know, you know, are the best um, in principle or in theory, I should say, our team. Um, but I think there's definitely some positions which are up for grabs. And, um, you know, I was pleasantly surprised by the combination of of Murisi at 12 and Menoncello at 13. And then Mori came on. Uh, against Scotland and you know he 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 played just different he was just a different player from what we've seen before and he seemed far more competent and comfortable at 12 so there's an element of oh okay if he can do that against I think it was Callum Redpath came on at the same time who you know is a well-established centre so if we can do that against um, you know a relatively well-established centre at international level um, what can we do against the best team in the world? So that's actually the point where we're like, right, okay, let's put these combinations in place. Let's have this acid test and, and see sort of where we're at with our depth as well. Because I'm sure Ireland will be coming in with same sort of mentality. They're not going to be putting out out and out first team. They're probably going to be putting out some players which require some time. So we'll be doing something very similar, but with the intention of learning like it should be a learning experience for us. It shouldn't just be, oh, these players need minutes in their legs, you know, crack on, see how you get on. It should be, okay, right, we've we've been in a position where we've seen Morty for, you know, 30 minutes on uh, against Scotland. Let's see what he can do for 50 minutes. Uh, let's see, you know, where people start depleting. Let's understand the depth of our team. Let's understand, you know, uh, the fitness levels let's understand you know where we're at as as a team and then we can actually be, be in a position where we're growing in the next two games so the lead up you know with Japan and Romania we should be looking at okay we we should build into the World Cup we should those are two games that we're expected to win and it's going to be very important how we win those games and I think the expectation is that we can take as much as we possibly can from Scotland and I think we're going to be taking away a lot more um, because I do think it's you know it's it's going to be a tough game for us at the weekend. But if we can learn from that and then build into the World Cup, then you know we, we're fortunate enough that we've got France and 
New Zealand as our last two games. So, you know, any anything can happen at that point if if we remain fit and, you know, a couple of injuries or suspensions here and there from the other team. It could be a different game. So that's where we're at, I think. Um yeah. But just that I don't think there's anything I don't think there's anything for us to lose this weekend ultimately. I think worst case scenario we get beaten heavily and it's another massive learning curve for us. Um we become like Mike said, you learn things from it. So if we get beaten really, you know, really convincingly, we go back to drawing board, we go back to training the next week and see what we didn't do well or because ultimately Ireland are, you know, best team in the world, you could say. So we're probably not going to come up against a better side than that. So, you know, if 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 we can take anything from that game against Ireland, which I'm sure we will, that's going to put us in really good stead for those games against you know, Japan and Romania, even if we do get beaten by 50 points, you know, that's something that will, that can only really benefit this group. I don't think there's any, any scenario in which anything becomes really negative. Um, so that's, that's something for us to think of as well. And, you know, like Mike said, we can win those two warm-up games against Japan and Romania, and then we get through those, those games that we need to get through in the group stage at Rugby World Cup, then, Ideally for us, we come up against New Zealand and France with no expectation, no pressure. We've secured our third place. We've secured our place in the next World Cup. We've done what we've needed to do and what we've had to do. Then we can just sort of throw caution to the wind and say, right, whatever else is a complete and utter bonus. Let's see if we can cause one of the biggest shocks of World Cup history. And it, again, it would be great to see. And to be quite honest, uh, Marcelo, you're kind of taking the entire next question, my point about what's kind of the aims of all be a good World Cup. So I'll change it slightly for yourself, uh, Mike, if you don't mind. Um, first of all, what would be a good World Cup? Like, but can they dream of a scout? Can they dream of a quarterfinal? Or even before they go into the World Cup, Japan, Romania, before they play Uruguay and Namibia, the opportunity to get four wins under their belts. Is that as much as Anthony as enticing? The fact that they could really go into, I, I excuse me if I'm wrong, I think it's is it the French game third? So yep. like the the opportunity they go into that full of confidence for a change. Like, I think, that I, think we play, of, I think we play France last, actually. I think that's the last oh, game. That's less than ideal, so but um, I think so. the, the the point still stands though, like the idea of haven't got up a run of momentum is that nearly as important as you know because third really they should finish third yeah I mean I think I don't know about dreaming of of a scout but the boys genuinely 100% believe that they can put a hurting on both teams um and this isn't you know just from one person it's from you know pretty much every single person we, we've spoken to over the past few weeks, including Kieran Crowley, they, it, it almost sounds like they know something we don't like it's, it. That's very much the, the, you know, the mannerisms in which they speak about those games and the confidence that they speak about those games. And I, I've seen a lot of interviews with, with Italian players over, you know, over my years watching them, but they genuinely believe it. So I think, yes, absolutely. You're right. I think if we can go in with, you know, four wins, um, particularly, you know, getting, getting the win over Japan, albeit, you know, they're ranked higher than us. I think we are favorites for that game because it's at home. You know, we're, we're coming into a position where rankings are going to be very important over the next year or two because of, you know, the same issues we've alluded to right at the start of this, 
this podcast. So yes, four wins would be brilliant. And then, like Marcello said, you know, it, it's it's any given Sunday if we we've, if we've secured third and we're in a position where you know we feel like we we can we can you know make stuff difficult for for some of the best teams in the world. And if we can keep in touch, you know, until the end, we saw what happened against Wales um, the year before last. And I know, obviously, we're talking very different kettle of fish, but we were written off that game and, you know, we played probably some of our best rugby. So, um, yes, is the answer. I think we probably will be targeting those games. And I think that's probably something where we we potentially could do um, a lot of damage. Yeah, and just and just an extension of that as well, kind of, from a neutral observer, maybe you've picked up this yourselves. Probably the the big disappointment looking from afar at Italy this year was the fact that in the game that they most expect to do well in was the Wales game. It looked forced. It looked like the pressure kind of got them a small bit. Would that be a bit of a fear that if they do win their opening two games, they may be in Uruguay, that possibly that could be a bit of a factor? So, and we did kind of see that in 2019 as well when against um, South Africa, they started okay and then they just kind of fell away. Now South Africa won the World Cup. I'm not <laughs> comparing them to Wales of this year, but is that a bit of a worry? And whichever one you want to jump in there. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's. Well, I mean, you could say it's a worry, and I think we've we've seen it before. We saw it when we we beat Wales and then followed that up with with losing to Georgia. And um, you know, we've it was who else did we play, Mike? I've, Gotten me now. Who we just we scraped past? Did we scrape Portugal? Portugal. Yeah, Portugal, and then uh, we beat Romania the following game. Like, yeah, so and it was, yeah, it was. You know, we did those two those two games after after beating Wales, and we saw it again this year going into a game. Um, finally, sort of first time in maybe a long, long, long time going into a Six Nations game with a lot of people saying that we were favourites uh, and. We didn't handle that very well, and I think we also saw that at the the under twenty championship this year as well. In the fact, we went into that Georgia game having beaten South Africa and targeting a semi final spot, and, and ending up almost being relegated. So, as a whole, I think Italian rugby is is young. I think obviously the under twenty are young, given they're an age grade team, but our first team is also young. Which so the positive of that is they're fearless, and like Mike said, when they're coming to the World Cup they will be the first people to turn around and say, we're not surprised if we beat France or New Zealand, for example. And there's the negative of that is also that there's a lack of experience when it comes to being favourites. How do you handle that? And that's a lot of it is mentally more than physically. And we've spoken to, we've spoken to some boys and they've told us how they, that there's been quite a lot of a focus on that mental side of things. And how can we prepare ourselves to be, better in those situations when there is expectation and there is pressure on us to perform and that'll be the key for us I think I'd like to think maybe in Uruguay we're even if we're sort of under par and we're not great we're still probably going to come through those games but for us it will be we want to, we need to win those games and win them well we need to take 10 points from those games but you can't go into a game thinking about how many tries can we score and, and thinking about a bonus point victory before you've won the game itself. So that is the key for us. And that is a, that is something we're still trying to get to grips with, but playing these games in the warm-up, so playing Japan and playing Romania and, and last summer, 
playing sort of Georgia and Portugal and Romania, those games are there to do just that. They're there to help us deal with those situations, become more experienced in those situations when we're expected to win, but also to give us some winning momentum. And that's what we're talking about here is going into a World Cup against those two, New Zealand and France, on the back of four wins. And that's what we want. That's what we need. And if we do do that, who knows? And I think just going back to the, the, the ideal of this World Cup, I think if I've gone through the whole bracket myself predicting everything that could happen and I think if New Zealand were to beat France in the first game and we were in a position where we've already won the two games and France have lost to New Zealand and we're coming up in that final game to playing France and France need to win to go through that's the perfect scenario for us so yeah it's it's all a learning curve for this very young side and there are going to be ups and there are going to be downs that sort of comes with the territory so uh, hopefully, uh, we'll we'll learn plenty from these warm up games and then go into that World Cup and and be fearless. And again, no no one would begrudge them if if they did kind of get as far as as you say. Now this might be an Italian preview and and all that, but I'm still going to ask you for predictions, lads, because it's the biggest show in town. Um, and I'll start with yourself, myself. Who do you see winning the World Cup come October? So I've predicted it all. I went through the other day. I got very bored and I predicted it all. And um, you'll be very pleased to know that I I have Ireland to win it. Now, I'm very wary of Ireland's Rugby World Cup record. And a lot of people are saying, you know, does that sort of... And I think it's impossible to say that mentally that wouldn't affect the size. But having that sort of record at World Cup sort of can going into the last two World Cups, expecting so much more and not coming out with that. So having seen the way it could go, uh, I, I really do fancy Ireland. I've got a small suspicion potentially of Argentina doing quite well. but um, And then we've just seen what New Zealand, New Zealand have all of a sudden just turned it on right at the right moment, haven't they? And playing some exceptional rugby, so you can't write them off either. But I just, I just think Ireland have, you know, barring any injuries, they've got all the, they've got everything they need. They've got wins, they've got experience, they've got talent, they've, they've, they've got everything. They've got the game to beat everybody. So I just think if they can mentally dig deep and, and sort of get over those demons, me personally, I think, I think Ireland will go to France and, and I think they'll finally win it. Hopefully, I'll start crossing my fingers now. Sorry, if I, if I fixed it already, <laughs> I do apologize. So, someone was bound to say it, like I've, there's going to be enough podcasts uh, amongst every channel that someone was bound to say it. So it's not going to be just you, but if it is, we'll know where to find you. Um, <laughs> Mike, um, where, who do you see lifts in the web, Ellis? Um, I think, as we said, the most settled teams are, are the ones that are going to have the best opportunity to win it. And I think, you know, that's, that's between France and Ireland. Um, I think, I, I I think the French have better depth um, in certain key positions than Ireland, uh, being sort of completely candid. I think if we're looking at fly half, uh, for example, we're at an opportune time to see this, you know, these 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 warm-ups, how you guys fare without Sexton, um, who, you know, not to sound um, cliche, it's always been a bit of a question mark. And, you know, 
there is a marked improvement when Sexton is playing because he is that good. He is so good. Um, whereas actually, if you look at France, you know, the, the, the drop off, arguably, you know, it's actually a step up. And the fact that Entomac is playing with Dupont is because they play at club level. So we were talking about settled team and, you know, particular spines, um, you know, that Toulouse spine. And so you guys have that Leinster spine. Um, for me, like I said, I think they just have more depth. Uh, my one concern is how will that Latin flair and Latin fi- Latin fire like uh, manifest itself in you know the uh, uh, well a full stadium. So that's sort of the, the my one concern. But I think yeah, for me, um, France ever so slightly over Ireland. And I I'd just like to add that I would. I would just absolutely love to see France win in France. I think for rugby and the way the the, the style of rugby they play, um, to see them win it in Paris would be would be a pretty pretty special moment. So I'd, I'd I wouldn't mind that at all. That's that's actually it's funny you mentioned it because that is something we mentioned on the the last podcast that if France did it, it would be kind of a romantic victory. Um, but of course, we're, we'll all be rooting for Ireland all over here anyway. So. <laughs> And listen, lads, thank you so, so much for that because I, I don't think you'll find too many Irish rugby podcasts that'll have an Italian eye this week of all weeks. So it's great to have you on. And as I referenced at the top of the show, this is our final team preview in, for a specific team in Pule. And we will look at Uruguay and Namibia at a later date. Next week, we will jump into Pool B with Ireland's opponents, South Africa and Scotland. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, over on my website, kalonestrb.wordpress.com, you can find my preview article of Saturday's game, which will be going up tomorrow on Friday, or will be going up on Friday. And on Sunday, we will look back on the game in a special recap pod with Ulster and Ireland fans, Jack Fogarty and Ross Barnett. So thanks at home to everyone for listening. Thanks once again to the lads for joining us. If you like what you see or hear, please do subscribe. You can find the links for my channels below, and you can also find the links for the lads um, Twitter and for their Fratelli Rugby podcast which I would highly recommend if you're a connoisseur of Italian rugby but for now until next time take it easy Sports Social Podcast Network